their curlers. They gathered around to see. The church was going up in flames. It burned till way past three. Now the preacher looked around and he stood up to report, this is the biggest meeting that we've ever had before. Most of you never come to church and I was wondering why. And they looked at him and all at once they gave the same reply. They said, preacher, we've never seen the church on fire before. And now that the flames are burning, there's something to come for. It seems sometimes that folks are trying hard to build the church on programs and promotions and sometimes even works. But if you'll listen carefully, a lesson can be learned that if the church will get on fire, they'll come to watch her burn. Now the preacher learned a lesson that night the church burned down. He got on fire for Jesus and he prayed revival down. And the church will never be the same because they've caught the fire too. And folks there in that neighborhood, they've changed their point of view. Friends, because of the imminent return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the need for revival is greater now than it has ever been. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to experience revival? See, some people think that revival is adding to what's already here. They think that revival is adding more believers, adding more prayer, adding more service, adding more worship. They think revival is adding more praise, adding more thanksgiving, adding more programs, adding more ministries. But listen, y'all, just adding Christian activity does not bring revival. Let me tell you what true revival really is. Revival is this intense desire for the individual believer to get right with God. Revival always results in the individual believer having a renewed passion for God. And revival always, say always, it always is brought on, here it comes, by repentance toward God. Isaiah told God's people, your iniquities have separated you from your God. He said, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. You see, you can't add Jesus without subtracting sin. Y'all hearing me? You can't add Christ without subtracting sin. You can't have a relationship with God while you're continuing to live in the world. You won't experience revival just having a change of belief. You've also got to have a change in your behavior. So to experience this 
true, widespread revival that I'm talking about. The kind of revival that impacts our community. The kind of revival that impacts the entire United States. We got to get real with a problem that's common to everyone in the room. Until we deal with the sins in our own camp, our best efforts to reach others is going to be like trying to cure cancer with a Band-Aid. Friends, we cannot expect God to deal with the sins we see on the news. To deal with the sins outside the camp until we deal with the sins that are inside the camp. And the only way to do that, the only way to effectively deal with the condition of our camp is for each one of us to be exposed to and to respond to what God says about our specific sins. God says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. Friends, we will not experience the mighty presence of God. We will not experience the mighty power of God while we're clinging to our individual sins. We've got to do something about the sins in our camp. So, for the next couple of weeks, y'all are going to love this. <laughs> for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be asking ourselves a lot of hard questions. A lot of hard questions about specific areas of your life and mine that hinder our relationship with God and ultimately hinder revival. How is this going to happen? Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4, that's on page 1074 in the Bibles in front of you. In James chapter 4, James kind of gives us a really, really good outline of how this cleansing process, this, this revival is going to happen. And here's what he says in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. He says, therefore, submit to God. You could almost stop there and we'll say, amen, we'll see y'all tomorrow. Amen? But we got more. He says you got to begin by submitting to God. See, if you're clinging to your sins, you're not submitting to God. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here come some details. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep over your sins, that is. 
and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the mighty sight of God and he will lift you up. Friends, we are not approaching this cleansing process because we want something from God. We're not approaching this cleansing process just because we want a blessing from God. We are not approaching this cleansing process just because we want our church to grow. No, it's far greater than that. It's far greater than that. Let's do it because God is holy. Amen? Amen? And he deserves our surrender. Let's do it because we love Jesus and we appreciate what Jesus has done for each and every one of us who are sinners saved by grace. Let's do it, friends, because we have a genuine desire to worship God and him only. Let's do it for those reasons. So for Bethel Baptist to experience this revival I'm talking about, the first thing that we must do is repent of sins of thought. How many of you know that Satan targets your mind? Satan often targets our mind with inappropriate, sinful thoughts. He knows that if he can just get a stronghold in the way you think, if he can get a stronghold in the way you think, then he can lead you easily into the sins that so easily beset us as Christians. And if he can do that, then he can reach his ultimate goal. Satan's ultimate goal is to separate you from God. And so where does he begin? Right between the ears. I have found in my personal walk with Jesus that as long as I am diligently filling my mind with the truth of God, Satan has no capability to fill me with his lies. How about you? Friend, do you have nagging doubts about if you're saved or not? Do you doubt, Christian, who you are in Christ? Do you feel unacceptable because you are breaking God's commandments? Do you think somehow that your obedience makes you acceptable to God? Or do you think that your belief in Jesus makes you acceptable to God? Well, let's look at some scripture and figure it out. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, the Bible tells us this is the love of God, that we obey his commandments. Sounds like obedience to me, doesn't it, do you? Oh, but we're not done. Because John also said in his gospel, in John 1, verse 12, he said, As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe. Say believe. To those who believe in his name. So which is it? Is it belief? Or is it obedience? Let me share the truth with you. The truth is this. It's belief and trust in Jesus and him only that comes first. Then your love and your appreciation for all that God has done 
will compel you to obey what God wants for you. So, friend, if you have doubts in your mind about whether you're going to heaven or not, don't walk out of this building until you have ironed that out. If you have doubts about your salvation, I want you to know this morning that God wants to give you absolute certainty that you're saved. Undeniability that you are saved. He doesn't want you to live another day in doubt. John wrote, these things I have written to you, you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you may know, say no, that you may know that you have eternal life. God don't want you doubting. He don't want you doubting. He wants you believing and trusting. And so what I've learned is, is that like Paul said, we got to take captive. Take captive all of our thoughts that fill our mind. Is your mind filled with Jesus? Or is your mind consumed with earthly issues? Which is it? Do you think more about your work and your leisure than you do about your spiritual growth? And your relationship to God? Do you see how easily we get out of balance? Do you see how easily we get out of kilter? And it all happens in our minds. So what do we do? Well, to handle this, we do just like Paul said. Paul said, cast down every argument. Cast down every, say every, Every high thing that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. That means God is here, everything else is down here. Because we've cast it down. Bringing every thought into captivity to the glory of God. Friend, is your mind often filled with lustful Unclean thoughts? Do you have thoughts that, if you were honest, you would be absolutely ashamed for other people to know? Men, do you have wandering eyes? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Does your mind revolve around people and things? Or is your mind focused on the Lord Jesus and what he wants to do in you and through you? Do you honestly get more excited about work and sports and recreation than you do about the kingdom of heaven? Maybe you need to check your heart. <laughs> I knew they'd love that. Now this is boils down to this last question that I'll ask you. 
Is Christ your priority? I mean, you're Jesus followers. You're Christ followers. Is Jesus your priority, or is he just a mere casual thought? Listen to what Paul wrote to the Colossian church. He said, set your minds. I read that for the umpteenth zillionth time probably. And this time when I read, set your minds, I got this idea that I needed to set my mind in concrete. Set your mind, set your affections on those things which are above, not those things which are down here on earth. Set your mind in concrete on things that are above. Let me ask you this. When you come to worship on any given Sunday, why do you come? Why do you come? Is it to focus all of your love and all of your reverence on God? Or do you come because you're kind of seeking his benefits? You're seeking a blessing. Why is it? When you sing in worship, are you reflecting on the words you're singing? Can you see the difference that would make? When that loudmouth preacher is preaching, can I get an amen? When that loudmouth preacher is preaching, are you thinking to yourself, you know what? What he's saying is true. And I think that that's worthy of my obedience. When it came to worship, Jesus had a lot to say to those hypocritical Pharisees. And one day he said to them, these, these hypocritical ones, these draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. You know, as I read that, I, I kind of like was translating it mentally. And I read it, you know, these people come near to me on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday they're living like the devil. Hypocritical Pharisees. Can we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the finished work of your son Jesus. We know that we are acceptable to you only because of our belief and trust in what Jesus did upon the cross at Calvary. Lord, we turn away from every doubt that assails us and resolve to take every thought captive to the lordship of Jesus. Lord, we repent of those lustful, unclean thoughts that we have and we are determined Lord to set our minds on heavenly things that will honor and glorify you in all that we do Lord forgive us for the sadly the many times that we worship you like a robot Lord forgive us from those times for those times that we worship you when our hearts are far from you we repent, Lord, of that careless, half-hearted worship, and we desire to draw near to you with all of our heart.
Lord, we love you. And we desire our thoughts to honor you in every way. And all God's people said. Amen. It's important to repent of the sins of thought. But for Bethel Baptist to experience this revival, we must also experience, uh, repent of sins of attitude. See, as God examines your life, he doesn't only look at the outward things you're doing. He's looking at the attitudes in here. Why are you doing them? How many of you know that how somebody says something is pretty close in importance to what they actually say? God deeply focuses on the attitudes of our hearts. So in these questions, friends, I want you to ask God to reveal what is in your heart. Don't, don't be looking at your neighbor and saying, ask God what's in your heart. For you see, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking with some church folks like you and I. And he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. But I know that you're neither hot nor cold. And therefore, because you are lukewarm with your heart, I will spew you out of my mouth. Can I tell you, friends, that a complacent, careless, prideful attitude literally nauseates God. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Have you got pride in there? Have you got that attitude of pride? See, the attitude of pride is a sin that we often overlook, especially in ourselves. And the worst form of pride says this, I don't need no cleansing, Brother Bill. I'm good. I don't need to repent, Brother Bill. I'm good. It reminds me of the children. How many of you children know that you're a sinner? I don't sin. <laughs> They'll tell you that. But you know what? While the attitude of pride is very, very nauseating to God, the attitude of belief is the most deadly. The attitude of unbelief is a sin that a, any, any believer can commit. It's unbelief that will short-circuit the work of God in your life. It is the attitude of unbelief that will short-circuit the work of God in this church. How's your heart? Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let me ask you this, y'all. Do you tend to worry and fret more than you trust God? I ain't trying to get in your grill or nothing, but I know we got some worries in this house. Amen. We've all been guilty of that, haven't we? Have you ever tried to excuse the sin of unbelief in your life by claiming, hey, Bill, I'm just a born warrior, can't help it. 
I'm a born warrior. Do you know that's really the sin of unbelief in your life? Do you refuse to explore your doubts and turn those doubts into faith? If you refuse to do that, that's really the sin of unbelief. Can we pray about that? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, as you examine our lives, please forgive us for the poor attitudes that lurk in our minds. Father, we repent of any careless attitudes that we might have toward your kingdom work. Lord, we ask you to help us to, to repent of prideful attitudes that hinder you from using us the way you want to. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to think of others before ourselves. Help us to understand how important our testimony is in the life of other people. Help us, Lord, to forsake the sin of unbelief when you've proven yourself time and time again. Father, help us. Help us to change. Help us to turn from our doubts and cling to your promises. Lord, you've always been and always will be so faithful to your own. Lord, we want to bless you. We want to bless you with true belief in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So friends, to experience this revival that I've been talking about, we've got to repent of the sin in our thoughts. We've got to repent of the sins in our attitude. But this is one that will get to every one of us. We also have to repent of the sins of our speech. You see, God places enormous importance on how you talk. In Matthew 12, 36, the Lord Jesus himself said this. He said, I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word? So, how's your talk? How's your talk? Do you ever speak those slang words that are crude and inappropriate and not fitting of a child of God? Do you use God's name in any other way other than worship, honor, and praise? Friend, are you the one that goes around spreading that filthy joke? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. How many of you talked foolish before? Yesterday, <laughs> wow, got to repent. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Do you ever lie? Do you ever lie? I love asking the little ones, 
when they deny that they've ever sinned. And I said, well, have you ever told a lie? No. I said, you just told a lie. <laughs> They're hilarious. If you haven't lied, maybe you've exaggerated things to make yourself look better. Are you guilty of any kind of cheating? I read a statistic. I actually heard it on the radio. And it said that some 75% of college students think it's okay to cheat. And they do. How do your tax forms look? We'll leave that one alone. Is your word your bond? Are you reliable? Did you know that it's impossible to be a complainer and walk in the Spirit of God? First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. The Bible says, let us not murmur nor complain as some of them murmured and were destroyed. You see, in the Old Testament, there's about 23,000 of God's people. 23,000 that were struck down in one day because they were complaining against God. Do you fail to give thanks in everything? We taught our children in vacation Bible school about the attitude of gratitude. That's in everything. Do you excuse grumbling? Do you excuse grumbling by saying, hey, Bill, I got good reason to grumble. I got good reason to complain. You don't know what I'm going through. But I got good reason to complain. Can I remind you that your Lord and Savior never complained? Maybe we pray about it, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to forgive us for every idle word that we've ever spoken. Lord, we repent of the sin of using words just to fit in, just to make ourselves look better. We repent of the sin of using our words to gripe and complain when we have no room to complain. Lord, help us to always use our words to encourage, to edify, to build up, and to give thanks to you. And we'll be swift, Lord, to give you all the glory for hearing the request of your servants. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. So remember, if you desire a revival, if you want to see a mighty move of God, if you want to actually witness the power of God in your life and in the life of this church, it's not about what you can add. It's about what you can subtract. That one word, repentance. Radical repentance. You know, as Jesus knelt with a towel 
wrapped around his waist. There was a basin of water next to him. And he reached for the foot of Peter. Peter instantly recoiled and he was just beside himself that the Son of God would take the place of the lowest servant. And he said to Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. Do you understand how important it is for us to be cleansed? Do you understand how important it is for us to repent of sins and be cleansed? How often has that happened to me and you? Jesus comes into our life. He's convicted us of sin. But no, we're not, we're not going to allow him to cleanse our feet. No, that's not going to happen to me. We're so discouraged. We're so ashamed of our sin. We can't even face God. Listen to me. The Lord desires to cleanse every one of us from sin. He may be at your door every day to wash you from sin. But we are tempted to walk away from God. We're tempted to walk away from Him. Why? Because that cleansing process is so humbling. We don't like to face our sin, do we? Like Peter, you may say, Bill, I'm unworthy of Jesus washing my feet. I don't deserve Jesus to wash my feet. You may cry out, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. But the Lord must cleanse you in order for you to enjoy the presence of God in your life. You must be cleansed. We must have this lifestyle of repentance in order to enjoy fully the presence of God in our life. So listen to me, friends. Whatever shame you're struggling in, we all got it. You're in good company this morning. Because we all have the same struggle with sin. We're all struggling. But I want you to know that God understands where you are. He understands that shame you're struggling with. He understands the sin you're struggling with. And he wants to gently scrub it away from your life. In fact, he's the only one that can do it. The only question is... Will you let him? Will you let him? Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Christ alone to conquer your sin, to pay your sin debt, I want you to know that we invite you to do that today. And if you're already a believer, I want to remind you that while works can never save you, being saved does change you. When you look in the mirror, do you see a changed man? Do you see a changed woman?
the Lord desires that we demonstrate the reality of true repentance in thought, in attitude, and in the way we talk. So the word of God has been preached. I know the Holy Spirit has spoken to me all week long. And I know he's spoken to you this morning. And so I don't want you to have any shame or any guilt or, or anything about coming to, to get that issue resolved. You don't even have to tell me what it is. But where two or more are gathered together, praying in the name of Jesus, he's there to hear you. And so I challenge you to come and get right. Get right with God so that we can enjoy what God wants to do in our midst. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it's just all about you. It's all about your glory. It's all about your praise. It's all about doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, we thank you so much that through the blood of Jesus Christ, people can be saved once and for all. But Lord, we also know that many are saved, but then they don't enjoy the presence of God in their life. Why? Because they're wallowing in sin. They won't humble themselves and reject it. Lord, to have things that they're thinking about, attitudes in their heart, and things that they're saying that are not fitting for a child of God. So, Father, we pray this morning that, Lord, you would speak not only to the person who has never received Jesus, who doesn't have the, the hope of heaven, but that you would speak to the believer this morning. And that, Lord, our altars would be full of people, your people, getting right with you, pouring our hearts out and asking you to give us the power to walk in your glory. Lord, we do love you and we praise you for what you've done for us today. In Jesus' mighty name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen. amen.